Thank you for those songs, brother. And it is because God loves us so much that he gave us his word. And let me read that to us this morning. It's going to be from Mark 12, 35 through 40. You can follow along with me. It's behind me there on the screen. This is what it says. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? And the great throng heard him gladly. And in his teaching he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. This is the word of God. You can be seated. As you're being seated, will you bow with me as we ask God's blessing on our time? Father, we thank you that you do love us so much that you have given us your word, and Lord, you speak to us through your word. It is a living word, and we know that. Lord Jesus, you even said, my words are spirit, and they're life. So we pray, Lord, that you would speak life into us this morning. Lord, I pray that you please draw sinners to yourself. Please also build up the saints. Lord, help us to walk in greater obedience. Lord, I pray that you would do mighty things for the preaching of your word this morning. Please give us grace to hear it with open ears, open hearts. In Christ's name I pray, amen. What you say you believe is not what you believe. What you live is what you believe. These were the words of my pastor, Jimmy Wilson, many years ago, and I've never forgotten them. I titled the message this morning, What You Believe Affects How You Live, because we're going to see it's that after being questioned by the chief priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, now Jesus asks a question. And in asking this question, Jesus corrects their beliefs about the Messiah, who he actually is, and then goes on to correct how they live. Now, you may have picked this up already, but verses 35 through 37 of our text focus on wrong beliefs. And verses 38 through 40 focus on wrong living. So 35 through 37, wrong beliefs. 38 through 40, wrong living. Because one affects the other. And that's really the main point of this message. Their beliefs were wrong, therefore it led to wrong living. The most important thing we have to get right and to understand and believe is who is the Christ? If we get that wrong, church, we get everything wrong. If you get Jesus wrong, you get everything wrong because everything centers on Jesus Christ and everything is built upon that firm foundation, Jesus Christ our Lord, just like the old hymn says. The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ her Lord. So here we have Jesus. Remember, just days away from his death, burial, 
resurrection. We are drawing close to that day in our text. And here he is publicly correcting the wrong understanding about who the Messiah is. It's very, very important now that the day is drawing so close that people get this right and that his followers get this right. This is a huge deal because these men, like those uh, like them, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribe, chief priests, teachers of God's law, they were everyone's teacher. They were the teachers of that day. They were therefore looked up to by everyone. And because of that, almost everyone, well, I should say they were looked up by almost everyone, right? And everyone knew them. They were greeted in the marketplaces. And you couldn't miss them because the way they purposely dressed and they were honored at guests and in the, as guests in synagogues and, and, and as at feasts, they were, they were the honored guest to be there. They were given the best seats. But they were wrong in the worst place that you could possibly be wrong. They missed Jesus because they believed he would be one way when he came. They believed the Messiah was actually going to be one way. And then he actually came as someone totally different than they thought he was going to be, and so they missed him. And so I've got a question for you this morning. Are you wrong about Jesus? Do you believe he's one way when he might actually be completely different than how you've formed him to be in your mind? That was the error of these scribes he's specifically correcting How can you be sure you've got Jesus right? How can you be sure you've got the right Jesus? How do we get the right one? How do we believe in the right one? Well, we do what Jesus does here. We let the scriptures tell us who Jesus is and and what he's really like and what he commands of us. We do not let movies, music, or media form our understanding of Jesus. Are all movies wrong? Is all music wrong? And is all media wrong? No. But those are not the places we go to form our understanding, to form our belief system of who Jesus is. Only the Holy Scriptures show us the true Christ. Amen? Only the Holy Scriptures show us the true Christ. And we look to them for all truth. So Jesus has this great crowd before him. He's, he's attracted a lot of attention because all the, all the big dogs of Jewish society have come out against Jesus. Again, Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, all those guys, they've all come now and day after day have come after Jesus. And whenever this happens, a large crowd gathers But Jesus has shown throughout his three years of ministry that he's no pushover. So word spreads that, hey guys, the religious elites have have come up against Jesus of Nazareth again. They're going to question him again. Let's go see what happens. Just like whenever you might hear about two really big, important people of some certain area 
they come against each other. They've got differing views, or maybe it's two big, important fighters, and do we hear, oh, they're going to have a fight, and it draws a huge crowd, or maybe we hear two politicians, that these are the really important ones, they're going to have a debate, and everyone views in. This is the big, important people of this day, and here they go. They're going to have at it, and so this large crowd gathers. Naturally, people want to listen. Some want to listen because they side with the Pharisees and Sadducees. Others are there and want to see and hear because they side with Jesus. They are also recognizing the hypocrisy of the teachers in their day, and they say, no, we side with him. And this is exactly what happened. This has been happening. This is nothing new here in the temple that day. This has been happening throughout Jesus' ministry. Wherever Jesus goes, he causes a division. He always does that. I know that a lot of religions and even denominations preach unity. And I'm all for unity if we're united under the truth. We have to be united under something. And that's the truth. I'm all for unity under the truth, but you need to know that the Bible speaks about Jesus, especially in the book of John, causing much division. Listen to John 10, John 10, 19 through 21. We've got it up there for you as well. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Those were Jesus' words, by the way. Uh, way, Many of them said, He has a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, These are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so there was always a division because of Jesus' words, because of Jesus' ways. And there always will be. We see it today. You feel it today. You've perhaps been split apart from friends or maybe even family members because of the truth, because of following Jesus. I have. I've lost friends. I've had, um, what do you want to call them? Interesting conversations with even relatives where we differed on the truth. Jesus will once again show himself to be the one who teaches with authority, however. Look how Jesus starts in verse 35 of our text. And as Jesus taught in the temple, he said, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? Now, to to fully understand what he's talking about here, we might need to include a word. uh, How can the scribes say that the Christ is just the son of David? I say that because Jesus is going to make the point that the Messiah is also divine. He's also God. But he goes on and says, How can the scribes say that the Christ is the son of David? David himself and the Holy Spirit declared, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. David himself calls him Lord. So how is he his son? Before we get... To the main point Jesus is trying to make, I want to point out a gift that Jesus just gave us. You may not have noticed it, but it is a little, small little gift that Jesus just gave us on the doctrine of the inspiration of Scripture. I don't know if you picked it up. I don't know if you caught it. But Jesus says in verse 36, David himself 
in the Holy Spirit declared. Did you see that? He says, David himself in the Holy Spirit said this. That's a gift. Because when quoting Psalm 110, David acknowledges, I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus acknowledges, number one, that David wrote it. David's the author of it. But number two, that the Holy Spirit inspired David to write it. You might say, you might just think of that, why is that a gift? I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I've always believed that. I've always believed the, the Psalms were, were the inspired text. Good. Praise Jesus. But now this is a gift to show us that Jesus himself believed that the Psalms were inspired by the Holy Spirit. The Psalms were of the Holy Spirit, even though written by man. We believe that, yes, of course, man wrote the Scriptures as he was moved along by the Holy Spirit. That's something that gets lobbed at us. How, how can you believe the Bible's true? It was written by man. Absolutely it was. And yes, it was. Men who were moved along by the Holy Spirit. We believe that. We, we acknowledge that. Absolutely, 100%. And Jesus also believed that though the scriptures written by men, yes, but they were inspired by the Holy Spirit. So we occasionally get little deeper insights into, into what Jesus believed to be true. And they're just other gifts for us from the scriptures. So back to Jesus and the crowd. Jesus is trying to show the error of the scribes. That's his whole point here. He's trying to show the error of the scribes. He's trying to show their shortcomings when it comes to their belief about the Messiah. Because they had many shortcomings. And this was the heart of their shortcomings. They got Jesus wrong. All Jews agreed that the scriptures taught that the Messiah would be a descendant of David. That was clear. Just like two chapters ago, you might recall, blind Bartimaeus cried out, Jesus, son of who? David, have mercy on me. Remember that? Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The Messiah was going to be a descendant of David. That's why he said that. Listen to 2 Samuel 7, 16. This is God speaking to David. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. How? Well, through one of his descendants. Psalm 89, 3 and 4. You've said, I've made a covenant with my chosen one. I've sworn to David my servant. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations. Again, a promise that David's line was going to go forever. These were texts that were believed. These were texts that the people understood the Messiah is going to come from David, from his line, Amos 9:11. And that day I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen and repair its breaches and raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. The Messiah would be a human descendant of David. So when Jesus quotes Psalm 110, he points out something they'd not even thought about before. They'd not caught this somehow, some way. They had just not, they had just not wrestled with this. 
before. And church, there may be certain truths, truths that you've not wrestled with before. That's why it's so important for you to be in the Word of God daily. It's so important for you to be feeding your soul your heart, your mind daily in the word of God because I can almost guarantee you there are certain things that you haven't wrestled with yet. There are certain texts that have not gripped you yet. What if I told you there is a life-changing truth for you in the Bible that you haven't found yet, that you just haven't quite discovered yet for yourself? It's in there, and I want you to go find it. Life-changing. It will change your devotion, it'll change your passion. It's in there, find it. You, you'd, probably, you'd probably say, okay, I'm gonna start looking for it as soon as you're done preaching. I'm gonna go home and eat lunch and then I'm gonna look. Well, it's in there. Just because you've been in the faith for years and years and years, do you think, do you think you've learned everything there is to know about God? No. I think that's one thing that's going to make heaven so wonderful. So we're always going to be learning new things about the Lord. As the children in children's church are even learning, God is incomprehensible. That means you can't ever fully know everything about him. You're always going to be learning new things. And there's things for you in the word of God that you still haven't grabbed and wrestled with yet. And that's what Jesus is pointing out for these people. You've not seen this. Jesus' question was meant to show them what they'd completely missed. They'd missed it. They'd missed it. Listen to what Warren Wiersbe says. This is a far more important question than the ones his enemies had asked him. For if we're wrong about Jesus Christ, we're wrong about salvation. This means we end up condemning our own souls. Church, that's the first question of scripture. That's the first thing in scripture that you've got to wrestle with and figure out. Listen to what I'm saying, please. That's the first question of scripture that you've got to wrestle with and figure out. Do you have Jesus right? This Jesus in scripture, do you know him? Are you understanding rightly what the scripture says about him? That he was born of the Virgin Mary, lived a perfect sinless life, never did anything wrong, perfectly kept God's law, showed us the truth, convinced that he was the truth speaker through his miracles, dear miracles to authenticate his word, and then he willingly, willingly chose to take a punishment that he did not deserve. You deserve it because of your sins, and he chose to take God's wrath upon himself when he shed his blood and died upon the cross and then three days later rose again from the dead showing that the Father was pleased with that sacrifice, had accepted it for all those who would ever believe. That's the Jesus Christ that the scriptures show us. Have you wrestled with those texts? Have you thought about that? Have you said, I'm convinced? Or have you said, nope, I think those are false. Or maybe you have not wrestled with them at all. Maybe you just think you know, but you don't yet know. All of us were once in that camp, I feel. I feel all of us were once in that camp. We thought we knew, but we didn't know. What finally convinced you? The Holy Spirit. He finally convinced you one day. You didn't know it was him. You didn't know it was him 
when you were convinced that day, but you've come to learn that it was him because you've also come to learn from reading those same scriptures that you cannot wake yourself up from the dead. Only the Holy Spirit can do that. And this is what Jesus is trying to do for the people. He's trying to show them the truth. He's laying it out clearly in front of them and saying, look at this. You've not considered this. How can this be? How can he be his Lord and his son? Have you wrestled with that? Jesus used Psalm 110 to make them think, considered, and interpret rightly. If the Messiah was just a human, a descendant of David, how could he also be David's Lord? The only way the Messiah could accomplish both those things would be if God himself came in the flesh as a descendant of David. We know the Lord did indeed accomplish this, and we know he did it through the virgin birth of Mary. That's how he did it, came to the world. Through the virgin birth, he does not take on that sin nature that's passed down through Adam. He was conceived of the Holy Spirit. Now, thankfully, Jesus' clear and, and, and faithful interpretation of Scripture is received by the people. Because look at verse 37. Look at verse 37. What's it say? That they heard him gladly. The people heard him gladly. They liked what they were hearing. Remember, we keep hearing this throughout the book of Mark. The people listened to him and were shocked because he had taught as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Oh, finally, they were hearing the meat that they had longed for. They were being fed these deep, wonderful truths from a man who could only speak the purest words of words. This was the Messiah. And truth, like silver, was just dripping off of his lips. And we get it too. Preserved for us in our day. The Messiah was not just a man like David. He did not come to conquer physically like David came to conquer. The Messiah was the Son of God, both God and man, who came to conquer spiritually. Because that's the great enemy. Your enemy, church, is not without. Your great enemy is not the Moabites, the Amorites, the the Canaanites. Your enemy is within. Your enemy is within. Your own sin, your own sinful heart has to be conquered. And you don't even see it as an enemy until the Holy Spirit finally opens your eyes to who you truly are without him. That's why the great hymn writer said, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. You don't see yourself as a wretch until the Holy Spirit shows you who you truly are in and of yourself. Jesus came and lived a perfect example as someone who always follows God's laws because he always kept God's laws perfectly. He perfectly obeyed the Father's teaching taught the truth with his mouth. He perfectly obeyed by going to the hurting and the lowly with his feet. Perfectly obeyed by healing the sick with his hands. And he perfectly obeyed by loving God with all of his heart. That's what the life of someone looks like who's truly devoted to following 
the Lord God when he rightly understands the truth of the Lord God. Which is why, after he exposed the scribes' misunderstanding of the Scriptures and their misunderstanding of the Messiah, he exposes the error of their living. He says, they're believing this wrongly, which leads to this. They're living wrongly. Let's look at what he says. Look at verses 38 through 40. How are they living wrongly? How are these scribes? Well, really in all of them. I think the scribes are kind of just representatives here. But he specifically does mention the scribes. Look at verses 38 through 40. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. They clearly showed they were believing the wrong things because they were living the wrong way. Because what you believe affects how you live. Jesus points out five things. Jesus points out Five errors on their part. Did you catch them? I listed them out for you. Their vain image. They walked around in long, embellished robes. Much like the clergy of our day, you can recognize certain clergy in our day because they wear certain clothing, right? You can especially recognize anyone who's Catholic or Episcopalian because... He'll have that tall collar with the little white thingy in the front, you know? You can can say, ah, he's a a clergy. Just like that, back in this day, the religious elite wore certain robes, usually dark robes that had certain things on them in certain places. But to really stand out. They, they, they weren't just content just to wear the robe. Someone might accidentally um, mistake me for just someone wearing, a, wearing dark clothing that day. They didn't want that. They said, no, I don't want to ever be mistaken for someone else. I want to clearly stand out from the crowd. I want people to recognize that I'm a holy man. And so what'd they do? They walked around in long robes. They, they made their, their, their robes Extra long, they embellished them, so I will definitely be noticed. He pointed out their vain image. You've heard the saying, vain as a peacock, right? You know how peacocks do. The male peacocks show their feathers. They really put them out, and they say, look at me, and they strut around slowly, and they turn this way and that. Look at me! This is what they were doing as well, these scribes. Look at me. Look. Behold your teacher of the law. (laughs) Number two, he pointed out their inflated ego. How did they have an inflated ego? Well, they loved to be recognized and greeted. They loved it when they walked through the marketplace. And because their robes were so embellished, people recognized them. And then, you know what they loved to hear? Good teacher. Rabbi. Hello. Oh, hi. Hi. They loved it. Oh, gosh, they just loved being recognized. Recognize me. Look at me. Number three, 
their desire to be honored. They loved the best seats in the synagogues, the big fancy ones right up front, reserved only for them, right? And at the feasts, oh, sir, sir, we have you a spot here right up at the front. Please, please sit here at the front. Oh, well, since you insist, I guess I will. False humility. They loved being recognized as the most important. Next, their uncaring hearts. What does he mean in verse 40, who devour widows' houses? What does that mean? Okay. Jesus has already brought this up in this book, and he's already talked about how what the Pharisees would do in their day, they would recruit someone, and they didn't care if he was the sole supporter of his household. If his mom is now a poor widow, the Pharisees didn't care. They say, listen, this is what you say to your mom who's a widow, who will have no way of supporting herself or who will suffer greatly in trying to support herself. You say, mom, whatever you would have received of me is korban. Korban means a gift devoted to God. So that's a little saying that they had made up. They said, you're going to have to just tell your poor mom, mom, listen, whatever you would have received from me, you're going to have to make that a sacrifice in your life. It's just a gift to God. You're going to have to just let me go. And the Pharisees didn't care that his now poor widow of a mother was now going to suffer, truly suffer, while he's living it up, very wealthy, recognized, loved, honored, getting all this education in Jerusalem with all the elites, while his poor mother's back home suffering. And Jesus said, essentially, shame on you. Don't the scriptures say, he who does not provide for those of his own household is worse than a non-believer. Especially in that day, when widows and orphans, there wasn't anything in society really set up for them. Their society was built on those who were able and powerful. And if you weren't able and powerful in that society, you didn't have very much. It was, in a lot of ways, a man's world back then, as you know. And women just didn't have opportunities afforded to them. And so women, especially widows, couldn't work hardly at all. They suffered. So did orphans. Why? Because orphans had no parents. And the parents were there to provide for them. That's why James, in James it says, you say your religion is real, but you don't care for orphans and widows, meaning you don't care for those who can't help themselves. Orphans and widows have a, had a high place in God's eyes. Why? Because they suffered. They were truly in need. They were the real needy ones. The church is to help those in need. That's how we show we're like Jesus. Because didn't Jesus act that way? So that's what he means. They devour widows' houses. They took away from the widows their means of living by taking these men away. And they didn't care. They said, you just tell your mom it's korban. She'll be fine. And then next, for pretense, make long prayers. Purposefully long prayers for the sake of being noticed. They prayed long so people would say, wow, gosh, listen to, listen to him. 
Listen to those. I don't even know what some of those words mean, so that they must be really important. And he just prays and prays. I wish I could pray like that. Just this guy. This, <laughs> he's the guy. Wow. And they, that's what they wanted. They wanted people to say, man, your prayer, your prayer, man, my, my rabbi doesn't pray that way. You could pray. Wow. And who gets the glory there? Man. Which is all they do you see how contrary they are to Jesus? Everything he's listing about them is the opposite of how Jesus was. They got Jesus wrong in their beliefs, so their life was wrong. Because what you believe affects how you live. And he's pointing both of those things out. You got me wrong over here. Look at this verse. I'm going to ask you one question. How can this be then? Now let me tell you how they live. And this is why they live that way. And Jesus tells us they can, what they can expect to receive because of how they live. Look at verse, look at the very end of verse 40. And these words coming from Jesus have even more impact, don't they? They will receive the greater condemnation. Why did Jesus add the adjective greater? Why not just say that they'll receive Condemnation. Why is it going to be greater for them? How? Why? Well, because of the truth that we find in James 3.1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. I, up here, right now, Cohen Ezel, will be judged to a higher standard and with greater strictness than those of you who have never undertook teaching the word of God to others. I, on judgment day, will be held responsible for the truth that I've given to all of you. Why? If I mislead the uh, 50, let's say, of you that are in here-ish, maybe I'm, I mean, wait, there's folks listening online, 500 people in here. If I mislead the 50 of you that are in here, I teach you something wrong and you believe it, about God. Something wrong about God and your eternal salvation or anything about God for that matter. And you go home and believe it and you teach it to others. Ten others during your whole life, let's say, maybe. Well, then now I'm guilty for 500 people believing the wrong thing and it's my fault. And these men were teachers of God's law to all the Jews at that time, all the Jews on planet Earth even, because remember, the Jews would congregate there for certain feasts and whatnot, come to the temple to worship, and they would hear these men. And he says, they will receive the greater condemnation. It burned Jesus up, which is why all false teachers, even the false teachers of our day, those egotistical lovers of money, lovers of fame, lovers of self, who call themselves preachers and teachers of the word of God, they can also expect greater condemnation. And let me tell you this, they deserve it. Just like I would if I misled people. 
They deserve it, and they will get it. That's why it burns me up when I hear false teachers. There's certain things that burn you up in your righteous anger, right? There are. Like my sweet wife, she loves, loves children. Therefore, she hates abortion. You want to get her riled up in the kitchen? Let her read some post about abortion. (laughs) You want to get me riled up? Let me hear some false teacher teaching something wrong about my God. It burns me up. I'm telling you, like, want to throw the TV out of the window kind of stuff. I get very angry. Do you know why? Because I love truth. And whatever you greatly love, whatever is opposite of it, you'll greatly hate. That's why Jesus said that these men will receive the greater condemnation because they're dragging the Lord's name through the mud by how they're loosely handling the scriptures, how they're wrongly dividing the word of truth. Shame on them. But it will not be so with us, right? It will not be so with those who rightly understand and interpret the scriptures letting the words of the text inform their beliefs. We let the word of God inform our beliefs. We don't go anywhere else. We don't go anywhere else for our beliefs about who our Lord is. We go to the word of God. Remember, this is why the Bereans were called more noble than the others because they searched the scriptures daily to see if what Paul was saying was true. And I've made this point before, I've said it again. But maybe one person in here hasn't heard it. If Paul the Apostle told me something, (laughs) I'd believe it, okay? I'm just telling you. I'd say, Paul, I trust you, okay? Listen, if you're, I trust you. I'm taking it to the bank. But Paul said, but you know what? There's people that were more noble because they searched searched the scriptures daily to, to make sure I was right. It's a good thing to go behind any teacher of Scripture and make sure he's right. Christ Fellowship, we're people of the book. As Christians, we are people of the book. It's our final and only source of truth for all manners of life and godliness. Amen? Be informed only by the scriptures when it comes to your truth of Christ because what you believe affects how you live. Pray with me. Father, we're grateful for these wonderful truths. I pray, please, please impress them on our hearts. Please help us to hold them as dear. Please help us to live them out rightly. Lord, give us grace to do these things. We will not do these things in and of ourselves Give us the want to do these things, please, and to continue on in a legacy of other faithful men and women for thousands of years who've seen your word as precious enough to live by and mold their lives by. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.